0: Should federal taxpayers be forced to pay for abortions under any circumstances? We'll consider that issue next.
1: From the nation's capital, this is Concerned Women Today with Penny Young Nance, president and CEO of Concerned Women for America, the largest public policy organization for women in the nation. Here's your host, Penny Nance.
0: Welcome to Concerned Women Today with Penny Nance. I'm Doreen Denny, vice president of government relations for Concerned Women for America, I'm sitting in today for Penny, who's heading to Georgia for our She Prays, She Votes effort in the U.S. Senate runoff elections. As we all know, this election season has continued to be all-consuming for our nation, and it's not over yet. But meanwhile, Congress has been busy wrapping up their 116th session, and Democrats have taken every opportunity to forecast their agenda. So in this episode, I'm going to take you inside the U.S. House of Representatives to get a firsthand account of a recent hearing titled, The Impact on Women Seeking an Abortion But Are Denied Because of an Inability to Pay. Now, that's a mouthful of a title, but what Democrat Chairwoman Rosa DeLorio sought to do in this hearing was straightforward, to argue for repealing the long-standing Hyde Amendment, which has been the first line of defense for over 40 years against federal tax dollars being used to pay for abortion. Before hearing some voices from this hearing, let me just give you a little background. In 1976, not long after the Supreme Court decision in Roe v. Wade, Congress passed a prohibition on federal funding of abortion. It was authored by Congressman Henry Hyde of Illinois as a provision to an annual appropriations bill that funds government programs. The Hyde Amendment recognized that certain exceptions, cases of rape, incest, or when the life of a mother is at risk, might be understandable. But otherwise, federal tax dollars should not go to pay for abortion. And every year since then, Congress has included this prohibition against federal funding of abortion in its annual appropriations. The measure was accepted on a bipartisan basis for four decades as a recognition that a majority of Americans do not want to be complicit in having money taken from their paychecks for federal taxes to be used to end the life of an innocent child. Joe Biden even supported this until he ran for president this year. And it really has worked. In its 44-year history, it's estimated that the lives of some 2.4 million babies have been saved. But now, the Democrats in Congress, led by Chairwoman DeLauro of Connecticut, have become increasingly extreme on abortion. They want to repeal the Hyde Amendment protections in federal spending once and for all. And so this hearing in the Appropriations Subcommittee was designed as a direct attack on the Hyde Amendment, which has been, in federal law, to defend the intrinsic value of life beginning in the womb. And it also makes clear that abortion is not health care. So not surprisingly, the Democrats invited pro-abortion witnesses, including an OBGYN doctor who could not bring herself to acknowledge that when she cares for a pregnant woman, this woman's unborn child is also a living human being and also her patient. On the Republican side, the sole witness that was allowed was an experienced crisis pregnancy worker whose personal story punctuated the issue at hand. Christina Bennett currently serves as communications director of the Family Institute of Connecticut, and she shared her story as a woman of color born into poverty. So I want us to start out by listening to her testimony.
1: I was born in 1981, a year after the Supreme Court reaffirmed the Hyde Amendment. My mother faced intense pressure to abort leading her to schedule an abortion at Mount Sinai Hospital in Hartford, Connecticut. The kind words of an elderly Black janitor who asked, do you want to have your baby, gave her the strength to keep me. Before she left, the doctor pressured her to go through with the abortion, reminding her that she'd already paid for it. When she insisted on keeping me, he yelled, don't leave this room. My mother wanted me, even though she paid for an abortion. My mother represents women who've been coerced into abortion and receive substandard care from medical professionals. While working four years at a Connecticut pregnancy center, I served hundreds of women, some who were coerced by partners, kicked out of their homes, and left to continue with their pregnancies alone. For 44 years, the Hyde Amendment has protected vulnerable women like the ones I've known. Since 1976, the Charlotte Loeser Institute estimates the Hyde Amendment has led over 2.4 million mothers to carry their pregnancies to term. An estimated 60,000 lives are here because of the protection of Hyde. One in every nine people born to a mother on Medicaid is here today because of the Hyde Amendment. And the Hyde Amendment has had 44 years of bipartisan support from Democrat and Republican legislators and voters. A mayor's poll released in January of 2020 found that 60%, or six in 10, American voters opposed taxpayer funding of abortion. The Hyde Amendment aids communities disproportionately impacted by abortion. Though Black women are just 14% of the childbearing population, we are three times more likely to abort, and we make up over 36% of the abortions. Repealing Hyde would lead to an increase in abortion in our community that already has high rates. Prior to Hyde, the federal government paid for an estimated 300,000 abortions yearly, accounting for roughly one-third of all abortions, enforcing the cost of 45 to $55 million a year on taxpayers. Forcing taxpayers to fund elective abortions means low-income women of color will be prey for an industry that has been found guilty of overbilling Medicaid, accepting racially motivated abortion donations, selling fetal remains, manipulating medical claims to increase financial gain, as well as aiding sexual abusers. It is irresponsible and unjust for a federal government charged with providing aid to those dependent upon them to encourage the termination of their offspring. What message does it send to a woman who lives in a state where Medicaid won't cover her yearly dental exam, but she can get a free abortion? A recent poll found that 55% of low-income respondents said they specifically supported the Hyde Amendment. Although the Turnaway study is used to claim abortion as a benefit to women, Dr. Michael New exposes the study relies on poorly done surveys of a non-random sample in which nearly 70% of women refused to participate and half dropped out. Its findings are not statistically valid for a general population of U.S. women. The Hyde Amendment is accused of being racist, but it's not racist to preserve Black lives. Hyde protects women from an industry that is actually rooted in racism, with a documented history of eugenics philosophy, population control, and the unlawful targeting of the Black community. This is why Planned Parenthood of Greater New York recently removed Margaret Sanger's name from their Manhattan building, looking to separate themselves from a leader who targeted the Black community through her Negro project thus leading to 79% of abortion facilities being located in lower-income minority neighborhoods. Informal abortion workers have come forward to share stories of coercing women and being encouraged to reach abortion quotas. If unse- un- unacceptable practices are taking place, then why should this organization or those like it be trusted with additional taxpayer dollars? Black women such as Cree Irwin, Lakeisha Wilson, Tanya Reeves, have died at the hands of the abortion industry, while others have been wounded, like my dear friend Destiny, who spent three days in the ER after a Medicaid-funded abortion in Hartford, Connecticut, left fetal remains inside of her, almost killing her. Although abortion-related complications and deaths are underreported, I have heard stories of women who have suffered botched abortions and even those who are left infertile. Free abortion is not in the best interest of our community. We need health care, better housing, paid leave, affordable daycare. A study of over 7 million Medicaid eligible women shows that having one abortion put them at risk to have another abortion, leading to hemorrhage and infection, two causes of maternal mortality. Abortion on demand is a band-aid to the wound of economic and health disparities that cause women to seek abortion. Please focus your efforts on better funding Medicaid across the country to improve the quality of lives instead of unjustly ending them.
0: So as you can hear, Christina Bennett really understands this issue firsthand. As someone who was born into a situation, as someone who's been dealing with other women and trying to support and love them through challenging circumstances, and as someone who recognizes how important it is for our communities to be involved in this. You know, her powerful story illustrates why we need to support these mothers, not expand abortion. We need all the players on the field, our communities, our employers, our churches, and our social services agencies. And, you know, the other issue that came forward here was that pro-abortion members of Congress have taken to calling the Hyde Amendment racist. They are contending that the women who don't have an ability to pay for abortion are disproportionately women of color. And this may be true, but from the beginning of Planned Parenthood's existence, abortion clinics have always targeted these communities, tragically, by design. Ranking member of the committee, Tom Cole of Oklahoma, asked Ms. Bennett about whether the Hyde Amendment
1: is racist.
2: Ms. Bennett, do you think uh, the Hyde Amendment is inherently racist?
1: No, I will never believe that an amendment that has helped save over 2.4 million lives, many of them black, is racist. I don't think that races are in the business of trying to preserve black lives and generations of children that will come after them. It's absolutely ridiculous to claim that the Hyde Amendment is racist. Now let's listen to another member of the committee.
0: Dr. Andy Harris from Maryland. Dr. Harris refers to the 2.4 million children whose lives were spared because federal taxpayer funds were not permitted to abort them.
2: Ms. Bennett, could you just elaborate on that? It's uh, 2.4 million lives uh, and a large portion of those are in fact minorities, is that correct?
1: Yes, absolutely. And when we're talking about forced sterilization, we're talking about these things in the hearing today, we have to remember that these things were pushed by Margaret Sanger, that these things were pushed by people that were eugenicists, that were involved in the abortion industry that we have today. And so that is where we see real racism with 79% of abortion facilities located in lower income minority neighborhoods preying on black and brown mothers and their children.
0: Now, do you personally find it uh, discouraging to the implication that you might be racist because you support the Hyde Amendment?
1: Honestly, I'm used to it because I've been doing this work for 15 years. And so even when I used to live in Atlanta and we talked about how abortion was disproportionately affecting the black community, We were called racist because of that, it doesn't matter. I almost died and now I'm alive and I'm gonna speak out for those who have no voice and I really don't care what people say about me. Even if they say I don't trust black women, I trust black women, I love black women, I am a black woman and I've listened to the ones who have told me they've been hurt by abortion, they are pressured to have abortion by their partners, by their parents, by their professors. I listen to them and I care and I know that abortion hurts women and families and it's a moral injustice. What we
0: just heard from Christina Bennett is really the heartbreaking truth. It is an astounding statistic that continues to remain today that 13% of the African-American community is the U.S. population, and yet the abortion rate among this community is 30% or greater. So let's just keep that in mind as we look forward and, and continue this conversation. When we come back, we will hear from the Republican Congresswoman on the panel and consider the question of whether taxpayers should be forced to pay for abortion. Hey, ladies, you're smart, passionate, and savvy. You care about your family and you care about our nation. That's why you should join Concerned Women for America. I'm Penny Nance, President and CEO of Concerned Women for America, and I pray you will visit ConcernedWomen.org to learn how you can add your voice to the largest public policy women's organization in the nation. That's ConcernedWomen.org. Welcome back to Concerned Women Today. I'm Doreen Denny, Vice President of Government Relations for Concerned Women for America, in for Penny Dance. Today we're discussing the Hyde Amendment, a federal protection against taxpayer-funded abortion. We're taking you inside the virtual hearing room of the U.S. House of Representatives, which recently debated the future of the Hyde Amendment. Another important voice in this conversation was the only female Republican on the subcommittee panel. Her name is Jamie Herrera Butler of Washington. Congresswoman Butler knows first-hand what it means to be a pregnant, jet-setting woman who's trying to juggle the demands of work and family. In fact, as a member of Congress, she has given birth to all three of her children. In 2013, during her second term in office, she gave birth to her first child. She was the ninth lawmaker in U.S. history to have a baby while serving in Congress. Her experience facing a difficult pregnancy brought to light the challenging decisions that women can face when they experience complications in pregnancy. Congresswoman Herrera Butler was faced with a heart-wrenching fatal diagnosis for her unborn daughter. But her faith and that of her husband's and their courage to speak out connected them to a person who happened to hear her speak on the U.S. House of Representatives floor. And this person was knowledgeable about a possible in-utero treatment, which led to saving her first baby. Last year, she gave birth to her third child, all the while being a member of Congress. And now, Congresswoman Herrera Butler has just been reelected to a sixth term. I say that because I think it's important to understand that the members of Congress who are dealing with this issue have a very personal understanding of what's at stake. And so I want to give you some of what her story is all about. Let's listen
2: as a woman of Hispanic descent, a woman of color who came from, you know, I think about my dad growing up as one of 10 Mexican Americans at times in a one room house where they didn't even always have running water. I just, I just have to say, I completely fundamentally reject the notion that getting rid of one of those 10 or more of those 10 would make life better for the rest of them. It just doesn't work that way. When we're talking about a human life, And to me, you know, the Hyde Amendment strikes a really important balance. We're not talking about where the life of the mother is in danger. We're not talking about life for life. We're talking about um, someone who is, you know, should be protected under the Constitution as, as having that life. We know the doctors on this call can tell you that a baby in utero can have a completely different blood type than its mother. It's not an extension of the mother's body. It's its own life with its own DNA that is separate from the mother's. So we keep taking this back up to just talking about one person in the equation, and that's the mother, but you have to acknowledge the personhood of the other person in this equation who pays the ultimate price. And it's I reject the solution that Dr. Palacio uh, proposed to maternal mortality rates to decrease them is to just get rid of pregnancies. We know that 70 percent of women who experience maternal mortality or those complications, it happens actually during that first year after the baby's born, which is why I proudly supported extending Medicaid coverage to the mother to cover the mother and the baby during that year when we know most of those things occur.
0: Congresswoman Herrera Butler gave probably the most succinct statement of what the Hyde Amendment is all about.
2: We're not talking about private funds. We're talking about taxpayer funds. The Hyde Amendment is has 40-year legacy of being bipartisan. It has a 40-year legacy of enjoying the support of the American people. You know, some of the arguments I keep hearing are, you know, women need to make, be able to make this decision on their own terms with their own bodies, uh, reproductive autonomy. But they're not using um, private dollars. We're not talking about them using their own dollars, right? You're asking for taxpayers, 70% of whom do not fund, do not wish to have their money sent here. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about overturning Roe v. Wade. We're talking about protecting this taxpayer funding and people's conscience here.
0: There were three other witnesses on the panel and they were all pro-abortion witnesses. They included Dr. Humenia Palacio, president and CEO of the Gutmarker Institute, Dr. Jamila Perret, president and CEO of Physicians for Reproductive Health, and Ms. Amanda Beatrice Williams, executive director of the Lilith Fund. Ranking member Tom Cole put the issue of, should federal taxpayers be required to pay for abortion? at any stage of pregnancy, squarely before each of the four witnesses. And here's what each had to say. You're going to first hear from the three pro-abortion witnesses, and then the last voice you hear will be from Christina Bennett. Do you believe that federal taxpayer dollars should be used to pay for abortion on demand at any
2: stage of pregnancy for anyone who seeks an abortion, uh, but says they cannot
1: afford one? We're here to really think about uh, what's important is about covering insurance for medical care. Abortion is a healthcare procedure. Uh, what we're talking about is the uh, discrimination against people who are low income or people who are uh, typically black and brown, uh, who aren't able to access affordable, timely services in the same way that you or I or I are. It is an important issue of equity To be able to have Medicaid pay for a robust, comprehensive services and robust comprehensive services includes the full spectrum of reproductive services, including abortion. Um, I believe that healthcare is, as I stated, a human right. And that every person has the right, um, whether they're getting their health insurance through the federal government or through private insurers to have access to the same services the community that i take care of the patients that i see should not have to make decisions based on their economics and incomes and they and it's not either or they also need support they also need child care they also need prenatal care right it's a, it's a both and not an either or
2: the reality is wealthy people will always be able to access abortion care because they have the means to do so um, what's really at stake here is The discriminatory policy that is jeopardizing low income people's lives and futures. Um, You know, when we withhold coverage from someone who is enrolled in Medicaid coverage, we're telling them a message, a stigmatizing message that they are not worthy of safe, affordable health care, and that we do not care about their rights and we will not uphold their rights, their constitutionally protected right to an abortion. Um, So it's you know, this has been on the books for far too long. We need to start telling them a different message, one of compassion, one of support. And we can show
1: them that by covering all forms of healthcare, including abortion. Saying that abortion is just health care or that abortion is merely a woman's right denies the reality that abortion is a destructive act through violent means that ends the life of a human person. If I was aborted in Hartford, I would have been dismembered. My body would have been thrown into a trash can and that would have been the reality of what happened. And we can use all sorts of words to describe abortion, but we can never deny the fact that abortion is the intentional taking of a human life. And taxpayers who are morally opposed to this, whether it's for religious reasons or secular reasons, should not be forced to have to fund this, especially for those of us in the black community who view abortion and what has happened to our community As an act of genocide, we should not have to work hard to give our money to institutions that take innocent lives.
0: So I think we can all hear how the battle lines over the fight amendment has been drawn. Let's not forget that those promoting abortion are asking you to have your federal tax dollars coming out of your paychecks go toward paying for abortion under any circumstances. Democrats in Congress see abortion which we see as killing an unborn child in the womb as just another health care procedure. And they want the government to be required to pay for any woman's abortion if she can't pay otherwise. Republicans, on the other hand, believe that abortion is not just another health care procedure, that pregnant women need support and their pre-born children deserve a chance at life. Abortion is not health care. For most of us, this is also an issue of conscience. We don't want to knowingly have taxes from our paychecks going toward paying for terminating innocent human life. For 44 years, the Hyde Amendment has been a marker of the moral compass of the United States Congress. But the fight to preserve it is before us. I want to leave you with a final word from Congresswoman Herrera Butler from this hearing. Her passion reflects the passion of concerned women for America and many groups in Washington, D.C. working to protect the sanctity and the dignity of every human life. So
2: I believe refusing to cooperate with or pay for the destruction of someone's child is not an action against that person, but for them and their community. 70% of Americans agree with me on this. 60% believe that we should not fund taxpayer uh, have taxpayer funding funding of abortion. In my view, abortion is a failure to serve a woman in need. It capitulates to despair and it says there's no hope for that woman as a mother and there's no hope for her child. But when I look at some of the great Black Americans who are radically changing this country for the better, many of whom grew up in poverty, what if their parents had received and believed that message? Who would be making that change today? I, I You know, supporters of abortion on this on this meeting should question whether the promotion of abortion itself is structurally racist since it disproportionately affects people of color and class uh, and substantially reduces births to women of color to a much greater extent than white women. Planned Parenthood operates the largest chain of abortion centers in the United States and disproportionately locates those centers in or within close walking distance of minority neighborhoods. 10% of Planned Parenthood clinics are in majority black zip codes, yet majority black zip codes make up much less than 10% of zip codes in the United States. To me, this translates to black lives lost. I don't know how you can see that any other way, especially when the founder of Planned Parenthood was an open supporter of eugenics. This was part of her goal and we're buying into that right now. And when we talk about risk to women, There are studies, including a specific study of poor women on Medicaid in California. This is a recent study, or it was released, showing a much higher death rate for women who have had abortions compared to women who have given birth, especially from suicide. You know, I would ask the people on this call to support a longitudinal study of Planned Parenthood clinics where abortions are provided of those women's mental health, of their physical health, and an actual study with statistical data that we can all look at and say, what's happening? Uh, to these women's physical health to pretend that there's no risk. I I think the 99% risk-free comment is it it can't be based in science and we have to be talking about statistical data here. Um, You know I just I really support and am grateful for this. I'm grateful for this hearing, I'm grateful the opportunity to talk about it. Um, um, Ms. Bennett I think you've really elucidated uh, some of the impacts to women of color in this hearing even though you're the minority witness. Um, You've done a fabulous job of defending the life of minority children, um, 30% of whom have been aborted in the last number of years. Let's change that trend.
0: So again, I think you can see how the fight is going to happen on this issue. And in fact, there's a movement by the Republicans to ensure that all the new members that come in on their side of the aisle will also commit to supporting life and to supporting the Hyde Amendment. And it's important that you make sure you let your representative know that you support the Hyde Amendment. This should be an issue that continues to unite us, just as it has been for over 40 years, a bipartisan effort to ensure that as a matter of conscience, we're not going to force federal taxpayers to use their hard-earned tax dollars to go and pay for abortion. And so it's really important that you speak up and join us to let your representatives know how you feel about this. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. Join us again in the new year for the next edition of Concerned Women Today.
1: Thanks for listening. Concerned Women Today is a ministry of Concerned Women for America, the nation's largest public policy women's organization. For more information, visit ConcernedWomen.org. That's ConcernedWomen.org.